our lie from the empire of lies. It is just time for the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. I'm Lee Stranahan, and this is the backstory. And it is at Carmine Monday. Do we have Carmine on? Okay, it will be a Carmine Monday. That's a rumor. Rod, let me ask, will it be a Carmine Monday? Hopefully, hopefully, yeah, hopefully. Okay, because I talked to him over the weekend. That's why I figured he'd be here, raring to go. I talked to him over the weekend. He was excited about doing the show. Because he had just seen the hit piece that CNN did on us. But it's a great show, regardless. In the first hour, we have a guest who's often a host, a co-host on the show, the great Mark Frost, economist, Eagle Scout, entrepreneur. And we're talking to him about the ruble. He made money in the ruble. And we've been talking to him about the fact that they're tying the ruble to gold. Had you heard that, Rod? Yeah, I did, and that's actually pretty exciting. Yeah, it's it's groundbreaking, and and it comes from the sanctions and them trying to destroy the Russia economy. And as we pointed out, the ruble, they're predicting a recession for a year, but it did not destroy the Russia economy. And so far, the recession hasn't even hit. And the ruble, which they're trying to destroy that currency, is up. And so we'll talk to Mark Frost about that. Then in the second hour, we have the bail queen of New York, the great Michelle Eskenazi. And there's all kinds of... Wait, and Carmine is here. Peekaboo. Carmine, how you, uh, ah, Carmine, how you doing? <laughs> doing great, man. How are you? Great. Now we we have the Bill Queen of New York in the second hour, Carmine. Uh, oh yes, I remember Mich- her. Michelle Askenazi. Do you need bail? I I don't know. I have to check with Sienna. Because common criminals can get out without bail in New York. You know that. That's what's yes. happening. But you might need bail, Carmine. <laughs> I have a feeling. I know. As soon as I saw the R behind your name, that require a bond. <laughs> well, I thought I was going to have to, and, you know, I, I be arrested just for appearing here tonight. Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Why don't you say the name of the show? And we're taking your calls, 202-521-1320. Where? On the backstory. There's a satisfying thud when you say the name of the show. Carmine, how it are is, you doing? Quite doing great, man. You know, I. Uh, how was your Easter, man? Happy Easter. I, You know, I have... No children around. So Easter to me is Sunday. It's just a day. Does that make sense? All the festivities, the Easter egg roll, or like if I'm if I'm 
hiding candy. The main reason my fiance might hide candy over yeah. here is because I'm diabetic. So she might hide it for that reason. But I avoid that. And uh, so there's no fun in Easter. And we don't even make a, there's just the two of us. We don't even need to make a ham. Because even with a family, don't you always have lots of ham leftovers? Well, I'll tell you, I don't have ham leftovers. When you have a family, you do have ham leftovers. That is correct. But I have turkey leftovers because that's what I made. And I'm a single guy, Lee. I made it. I made a turkey because it's it's Easter, man. Right, and a turkey. The turkey will last you until the end of summer, won't it? I don't know about that. I'm a pretty chubby guy, but uh, <clears throat> tonight's menu calls for turkey soup. But I tell you, I got myself. And now you're gonna you're gonna laugh at me. I made myself a little basket. I uh, I had my uh, my candy flown in from Bissinger's. You got two dark chocolate bunnies and a milk chocolate bunny. I got eggs. I got jelly beans. I don't even eat jelly beans. They were just the basket. Let me have a couple jelly beans. There we go. I'm not laughing. I'm crying. Carmine, I don't know if that's <laughs> any better. But uh, but he's risen. Hope you had a happy Easter. Now Amen. we have bad news on on Easter. The bad news is. Gonzalo Lira, who's been doing great citizen journalism from Ukraine. He's an American of Chilean descent who lives in Ukraine. He's been reporting and doing YouTube videos. He was supposed to appear on the Great George Galloway show yesterday. And we're hoping he would because he'd not been heard from for days. And I was hopeful when his schedules would appear on the show that he would reappear in a, you know, fitting moment for Easter. But Gonzalo did not appear. And he's previously said that if he, if anyone ever has a 12-hour period where they don't hear from him, add him to the list of these people who've been disappeared. And the rumor is, unfortunately, that the SBU... The secret police in Ukraine got Gonzalo. So we're afraid oh. that he's no longer with us. Oh, boy. Now, have you watched any of Gonzalo's stuff, Carmine? I have not seen it, no. I was watching him uh, at first a little, and then I subscribed to his YouTube feed. And... Recently, and Rod had been training him on a show. So I am sad that, first off, I hope he's, nothing's happened to him. I hope we're just mistaken. Eve, Eve Bartlett was also posting stuff about Gonzalo, and she was hopeful that just the, the internet and the electricity had gone out in the city where he was. But him not showing up, the show, and there's no sign of him. This is a bad omen. And he went to Ukraine. So, no, he was he was there already. Apparently, he married a Ukrainian woman, 
and was in Ukraine. And he started doing reports because he was in Ukraine. You see what I'm saying? That's, that's not good. That's not that's not wise in Ukraine. But here's the Very thing. Very brave. Yes, yes. And and he'd been on Galloway's show and Galloway said, you're very brave. And he denied that. If you had been in Ukraine, let's say you'd married a Ukrainian woman and you'd bought her a couple of eggs and a turkey. And I wouldn't mind. And the, and the war Good started. Morning. You're in Ukraine. You have internet access. Wouldn't you be broadcasting? Admit it, Carmine. Yeah, I probably would, yeah. Um, but it doesn't make me wise. <laughs> Believe me, there are things there are things I say here in the United States that I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> I hope I don't get in trouble for that. Well that's why that's why I say doing journalism is not wise today. We're not in an era where it's a good period to be a journalist. Especially if you're telling the truth. Yes. They seem to hate that. Now, speaking of telling the truth, Elon Musk, you know, is in a battle. And Jeff Bezos, the Washington Post editorial board, came out against Elon buying. And it's so funny. Owned oh, by... Possibly the richest man in the world. Either Elon or Jeff Bezos is the richest guy in the world. I can't quite tell. But the Washington Post editorial board, like a lot of people, is against Elon Musk buying it. Because they don't want to see that much power in the hands of a wealthy man. Said the Washington Post. Had to laugh right, at that. It's, it's amazing. I wonder if CNN, too, because I know CNN was in in the same – CNN had the same issues with it, too. And I I wonder if they felt the same way when their boss was Ted Turner. I've never seen a point – at what point did a poor person, a working-class Joe, own CNN? At what point did a guy save up, stop buying Starbucks for a month and bought CNN? (laughs) No one's done that. So owning media – Giant media companies is a rich man's game. Would you agree? Yeah, of course. I mean, and they'll say the same thing about, oh, they're, they're concerned about Rupert Murdoch. Nobody was ever concerned about Ted Turner, though. Nobody's concerned about Jeff Bezos. Just just, just the, the, the ones that are not left wing. That's the ones they're concerned about. Now, have you actually heard, we talked about this last week on the show, but I had not heard the TED Talk that Elon Musk did about why he wants to buy Twitter. Have you heard that? I didn't watch it, but I mean, obviously I've read the reports. Now, depending upon who the reports are by, that may or may not be trustworthy. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, I've read a few reports. I, I try and read the quotes, not the reports. You know what I mean? So to speak, I go to the quotes. Yeah. But sometimes they contextualize them oh, in a yeah. way that leads leads to a false conclusion. So I actually watched the TED Talk with Elon Musk. First off, I've seen him speak before. He was a little nervous and thoughtful. 
And everything he said, I felt like cheering. Everything he said was good. He's buying it if he's to be believed for completely the right reason. What was your takeaway from the quotes you read? Looks like a guy who just wants more free speech in the world. I don't see a, he wants to get rid of the ads. So I don't see a guy looking for a money play here. It looks like he's looking to do some good with his money. Right. And uh, I didn't hear anything worrying to me. The worrying thing would be is if he's completely lying and his goal is some nefarious goal and not what he said, in which case I wouldn't know it and neither would anyone else nope. because it's nefarious. Right, Carmen? Correct. So I'm seeing the press continue. And what's weird to me is not that the press is against him. I understand why the Washington Post is against him. And I understand why CNN is against him. Because they're the mouthpieces of the establishment. But what I don't understand is regular people. I see plenty of regular people acting like it's a bad people who are supposedly free speech acting like it's a bad thing. Do you oh, see because that? You have to understand. Yes, you have to. I understand it. I'm surprised you don't understand it. Um, my brother has a saying. He said, you know, the people are like he calls them instead of sheep. He calls them cows. He says, you know, one says moo, then they all say moo. They 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 watch their TV at night. They watch their CNN. They watch their MSNBC. Um, and they and then they uh, and they repeat what they're told. Now I don't have a segue for this involving cows, but let me ask you a question. Sure. Where do you see in the race for presidency? in 2024, although it's early and we don't have people officially completely all in declared. It's presumed, and he's made statements indicating that Donald Trump was gonna run. But I'm seeing- announcement, but it's pretty obvious. Right, exactly. And, And he said stuff at CPAC that's as close to an announcement as I think we're we're likely to get. But let me ask this. You talk to a lot of people on the conservative side. Do you see Rick DeSantis is on the ascendancy? A lot of people are thinking about Rick DeSantis. I've noticed, and I'll tell you what I think did it. Donald Trump endorsing Dr. Oz I think was the beginning of the end for Donald Trump, if there's an end. Yeah. And was wise. And what's that? It was not wise. Yeah. And it was, why do you think it was not wise? Because Dr. Oz is not a conservative by any stretch, he's anti gun, he's pro abortion. 
that 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 endorsement made no sense. And it's also obvious to the base, people in the base, and I'm seeing a lot of people talk about Richard Sanchez as he's the one. Well, he's let me, gonna let me stop. Mean, yeah, go ahead. It's Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis. Oh, I'm sorry. What what was I saying? Rich. Or, or, sorry about that. That was a mistake. I don't, I don't want to call in and get mad at you, man. Yeah, that's right. So Ron DeSantis, not his cousin Rick. <laughs> but I'm noticing a lot of people talk about Ron DeSantis as the one. And he's who I'm starting to see people coalesce around. Are you noticing the same thing, Carmine? Been seeing it for months. But, uh, you know, it's going to be hard for him with Trump in there. And especially if Trump, here's the problem you're going to face. If Trump does not decide on his own not to run, he's going to trash the entire Republican field. And none of those people will be viable when he's done with them. Because if you can't get Trump's people, because Trump is the kind of guy, I hate to say this, but Trump is the kind of guy that if it's not him, that he wants everybody to lose. No, I agree with that. And, uh, and I pointed out before that that's one of the big problems with Trump is he's going to suppress. But I'm not sure he can stop DeSantis. I'm not sure. I think it might be especially depending upon, okay, how is he going to do attack Ron DeSantis? What will be his line of attack? What's his angle? Well, let's put it this way. He had, he had people calling Ted Cruz one of the most conservative people in the history of conservatives. Okay? He had people calling Ted Cruz a rhino. I love Trump, but Trump's a cult of personality. No, no, I agree completely. But I don't think him calling Ron DeSantis a rhino will work. I don't see what you're doing on. You think Ron DeSantis is, is strong enough to defeat a Trump? Because here's the thing. If the Trump wing of the party will not back you, you can't win. You don't need only them, but you certainly need them. No, I agree. And I think that if Ron DeSantis plays it and doesn't take the bait, if he doesn't attack Trump back, if he now what how would how do you think you counter Trump? Do you think you act take the high road and speak respectfully of him? Or do you think you r- rake him across the eyes? Well, if you're going to rake him across the eyes, you better you better be prepared for a gutter fight, and you better be the guy that can do it. Because I love Marco Rubio, but I remember when he tried and it didn't work. Now Rubio had stuff that was Rubio to me is the Senator Republican in a midget's clothes because Rubio <laughs> was one of the gang of one of the gang of eight, the eight. Senators 
four Democrats and four Republicans, and the other three Republicans were Jeff Flake from Arizona, John McCain from Arizona. I forget who. Now, the other, the other thing I thought was interesting was Trump recently said he'd be in favor. He, he made it very clear that he doesn't like Romney, but he'd be in favor of Romney as the head of the Senate Republicans rather than Mitch McConnell. And he called Romney a lowlife. So he doesn't like Romney. But how? What's what's up with that battle? He hates McConnell. Hates. Now, why can news? I'll put it like this: Do you see Romney as taking McConnell's place? No, he's only there for a minute. You think so? He's not there long enough. But he's got gravitas because he was a nominee for president in 2012. And so I think that gives him an undeserved gravitas. You see what I'm saying? No, I, I definitely, I understand what you're saying. Absolutely. It just, I mean, he's a first term Senator. I just can't see it happening, but he's got plenty of experience as a rhino. On the other hand, He's the most rhino candidate for McConnell. I don't like McConnell, but McConnell to Romney would be out of the frying pan into the fire. You agree with me there? Yes. I think, I think, ooh, I think Romney would be worse. Yeah. I actually do too. Because the reason I'm surprised that Trump said, as much as he hates McConnell, is Romney has been more aggressively and outwardly anti-Trump than McConnell. McConnell's been passive-aggressively anti-Trump. But Correct. Romney has been very aggressively anti-Trump. And I'm surprised, given the cult of personality, that Trump likes to promote that that would escape Trump. I don't I don't understand. I didn't understand. I would have thought that the one guy he would not promote in any way is Mott Romney. When did he I don't say know this? Any, I, I don't know. I saw I saw the quote. It was a quote. I saw somebody said it in some public forum. I'm not, he wasn't speaking in the restroom or something. But, uh, but can you think of anyone aside from Liz Cheney in the House who's been as actively anti Trump as Mitt Romney? Besides members of the House, no. Yeah. You think of Adam Kinziger, I assume. People like Correct. that, but 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 Romney among senators has been the most publicly anti-Trump of them all. So how are you think think, think things? When will we know? When will they have to make 
some sort of announcement. I'll put it like this. You'll be able to tell, I think, Trump's got to be hearing the DeSantis whispers, right? He's got to be hearing people talk about DeSantis. And You would think, yeah. So I would think you'll start seeing some anti-Ron DeSantis talk from Donald Trump fairly soon if he's going to go but after him. I don't think he's going to necessarily go after him if, unless DeSantis makes it known that he's going to actually give it a shot. Well, now, you you think that's still a question, actually? I do. I don't think DeSantis has made up his mind. Now, I, I do think that the... So, the reason the Dr. Oz endorsement is a big deal isn't about policy. It doesn't affect policy. You could have perfectly good presidential policies. But once again... It shows the same lapse in judgment in picking people that Trump has exhibited when he was president. And I think that's the biggest take against Trump is that he's a lousy choice in people. Do you agree with me? That's a that's a take on Trump is that he picks he picks bad people. Well, I think he picked a guy because you know, he was a reality star like him. Maybe he likes him personally, but I don't think he really understands how the rest of us were going to feel about that endorsement. Well, that means he doesn't have the pulse of the base on a basic thing. How could he have not known what people would think? You see what I'm saying? The question is, though, are people so turned off by it that they they would decide not to vote for Trump because of it. And that's a big question, in my opinion. I don't know if people are, are, are wise enough to even get that. If that was the main issue, it might not be enough. But I would say that as the last straw issue, as the people had some doubts, and I was thinking this, and I'll say this and we'll go to break. When we come back, we'll be joined by Mark Frost. One of the downsides of Trump not being on Twitter doesn't have to do with him not being able to talk. It has to do with him not getting the pulse of people, of a mix of people. Over on his own platform, the Truth platform, he, he only gets the people who love Trump. And I think it was an advantage of his on tr Twitter. They could see a variety of viewpoints. Well, I think you, you also have to. Yeah, I think you also have to consider that, you know, truth is not really if he's really watching truth. There's not a lot of activity over there. That's a good point. And and. It's a failure by any business standard. It's not caught fire, even among the Trump base or even among Republicans in general. Trump, what you would hope to do is capture a large percentage of Republicans on the platform. But he hasn't done that. 
the reason Musk is doing the smarter thing is because if you want to get something where you're going to preaching to the choir is not going to be helpful. Twitter's a place where you can get other people to come on board. Unless you can build a place, you can't build an echo chamber, man, and have it work. Great point, Carmine. Now let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking to Mark Frost. We'll be talking about the gold ruble, among other things. You heard about that, right, Carmine? I certainly have not. Okay, it's a big deal. You, I, it's going to be an interesting take for you. When we come back, Mark Frost it is a Carmine Monday here on the backstory. Back on the backstory, 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C. Joining us now, our guest is Mark Frost, economist, entrepreneur, and Eagle Scout, former Marine. It's not an E, but he's also a former Marine and frequent guest on the show and sometimes the co-host on Frosty Fridays. Hey, Mark, how you doing? Doing quite well. You sound good. Do I? Yeah. I think I sound horrible. Yeah. You, you sound better you know, than you did, like, last week, so. Well, no, I'm, the nice thing you say, although I feel like my articulation is better, I feel like my voice is weaker, if that makes sense. But yes, I'm picky. So, Mark, let me, let's talk about the war and the economy. One of the biggest miscalculations by the Biden administration was thinking they would destroy the Russian economy through sanctions. They thought it was seriously going to be over. Why did that fail, Mark Frost? Well, it failed for the reasons I think you had me on a month ago or even longer than that, and we talked about that, it failed because it was doomed from the outset. Uh, as soon as I heard, as soon as this, our policy started, I went and bought rubles and made quite a nice little profit. Uh, I still have some of them, but I sold about half of them because I knew that there was only one way for the ruble to go. It was up. It, had, it was kind of like a slinky. It had gone too far the other way because people used their animal spirits and got scared and started dumping it. And so, you know, Putin did something. I don't know if it was Putin or an economic advisor or the central bank president there. Somebody came up with a brilliant idea that just said, hey, we have a lot of we have a, a tangible asset that everybody wants. And it's called oil. And since the West is putting these sanctions on us, we're going to put basically sanctions on them, but they're variable sanctions. You can buy our oil, but you either have to pay with gold or rubles. Well, 99% of Congress, maybe 99.9% of Congress, uh, virtually the entire, American, the entire American administration 
didn't realize what that was doing, and, and it shocks me. I don't. I didn't see evidence of even one economic advisor even talking about this, or even seeming to imply that the that the federal government even knew about it. But what that basically did was it tied the ruble to gold. Now I didn't know that when I bought rubles. I just figured it was it was an undervalued asset, and I like to buy undervalued assets as opposed to buying up, as opposed to buying overvalued assets. Why? Because undervalued assets tend to appreciate and overvalued assets tend to depreciate. And so as soon as they started tying oil sales to rubles, which was tied in another link to gold, they have quasi put the ruble on the gold standard. There's also one there's a huge Achilles heel of the United States monetary system. You've heard of Australia, right? Cutting no, down never heard of it. 20 million people. Okay. I think there's 21 million people there now. And, and Australia, with only 20 plus million people, has more international reserves than the United States. Now let's define what a reserve is. A reserve in monetary economics is anything that can be used as money that's not your own currency. So if you're the central bank of the United States, rubles are part of your reserves. Australian dollars can be part of your reserves. Pound sterling can be part of your reserves, but dollars can't be part of your reserves. Why? It's pretty obvious because the country that gets to print the money doesn't get to count them in their reserves. So we don't have a lot of reserves. In fact, we have the lowest reserves per dollar of GDP. We're exceptionally low reserve country, and Russia is an exceptionally high reserve country. Now, our GDP is drastically larger than theirs. But, but right now I'm talking monetary reserves and monetary economics. So I think it was brilliant. Whether you love Russia, whether you hate Russia, if you're a student of economics like I am, it was a bold, brash move. And and soon as I heard that, I wished I'd, that I had bought more. Uh, because I knew at that point the ruble was going to stabilize and the goal of of turning the Russian economy into a hyperinflated, you know, uh, you know, Weimar Republic or a Venezuela, it wasn't going to happen. I'm not saying the sanctions don't have any impact. I have a, I bet they have a lot of impact, and I bet the sanctions are killing a lot of, uh, you know, sick Russian people that that do depend on getting some medications and things like that from the West. On the other side of the coin, I still have a feeling they're getting them. They're just getting them in a roundabout method. So I've never been a big fan of sanctions for political. Purposes like that. I didn't like sanctions. Even I didn't even like sanctions against Cuba. And I'm as I'm the most uh, I'm, I'm the most vocal anti-communist person I think that that is in existence. I hate communism. I hate it with a passion. I don't want anything to do with it. And I would not have if I was king. I would not have put uh, uh, sanctions on Cuba even because all it does is it makes them circle their wagons. It gives them an excuse for. Uh, for everything that's going wrong. And it's done usually because we want an excuse for the things that aren't going well. And so to me, the entire, what I don't like about what's going on is every media outlet, almost certainly all of the mainstream ones, Fox included 
It's as if everybody got a memo and says, effective immediately, this is what we're going to say. And they're not even trying to put an objective slant on it. They're just, uh, and it seems to me that the drums of war are being beaten pretty hard. Pun intended, because we're drummers, right, Lee? So right. Uh, I I, I, I think it's a very, very dangerous game we're on. We're doing things that if, the, that if it was turned around are acts of war. When you arm your enemies, enemy, you're a combatant. It's, it, it's the way war works. If my enemy is, is provisioning, or if, 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 if country C is provisioning country B, who is my enemy, then country C is my enemy too. And it seems to me, just this has, again, this has, you don't have to like Putin. I don't like Putin. I don't like, I, I, I don't like the Russian system. Uh, well, see, I was told, Barnabas, to say, I, I was told that we never say that here. <laughs> On the CNN said we never say that. I'm actually glad that you brought that up because this is the only I've done what I've done. CNN, MSNBC, lots of Fox. This is the only program I've ever done where not once has anyone before, especially before, no ever, no one has ever said anything before and nobody has ever said anything about anything I've ever said uh, after. So this is the least controlled network I've ever appeared on, which is why I like to be on it. It's not stressful in the sense, well, am I going to say something they don't want me to say? But my point is, what I care about is Americans. I care about the United States of America, and I care about Americans. I'm, I'm sure Russia cares about Russia, and they care about Russians. And in my best thinking judgment, when I look at a globe, there's no reason why the United States need to, needs to be the, per, the perpetual enemy of that block of land, let's call it Eastern Europe and continental Asia. It, there's just no reason for it. The Cold War is over. We gave Russia some pretty bad advice. We caused some pretty bad damage just in our own incompetence when we were supposedly their friend. And this is something that, in my view, uh, we ought to stay out of. I don't see any economic gain for us in what we're doing. I, I just don't see anything that we're going to get out of it. It's almost all downside, the way I look at it. Now, Carmen, do you have any questions or comments from Mark Frost? Well, I, I've, I've got to follow up to something you said, but let's go to Carmen first. No, no, no. I'm just, I'm listening here. I'm learning. Well, this is about the military economy. You've heard that we've been sending Ukraine anti-tank missiles to fight the Russians. Yeah, I mean, right, I, would, I would agree. With him. I would agree with him on the point that we can't legitimately say that we're not engaged in a war with Russia when we're clearly engaged in a war with Russia. Well, let me also point out the destructive part. And I don't get this at all. And Mark, you were in the military, so you know something about the economics of this. We've given them one third. That's the number I've heard. One third of the U.S., supply of anti-tank missiles. Apparently, Ukraine is going through anti-tank missiles at a rate so high that we've given them one-third of our, not the extra, 
of the anti-tank missiles. Have you heard that, Mark? I don't. I haven't heard that specific statistic. But what I do, I just kind of did some math in my head at at one moment, and ever how many it is, it's a lot of them, and uh, and and what's concerning is there's calls to give them weapons that would allow them to attack sites in Russia. And that is an escalation that I think is just silly. And it comes, if we were a country like Japan and we don't go off and do arbitrary wars and invade other countries, maybe there is some moral, there's some moral superiority there. But we use cluster munitions in Iraq. We invaded a country arbitrarily uh, on our own authority. didn't bother with the UN, didn't bother with even even trying to make it look legitimate. We went in there because we decided we wanted to go in there. And the reason we were able to go in there is because we won, in the sense that we were able to do it, take minimal losses, and leave. But it takes a person with their head in the sand to believe that Iraq is better off today than it was under Saddam Hussein. Did I like Saddam Hussein? No, I think he was a ruthless dictator. Do some civilizations probably require ruthless dictators to get them to be civilized? Yeah, they probably do. Have you ever been to Singapore? Ever studied Lee Kuan Yew? Uh, if you go to Russia and you, and you just meet the people, I don't mean the airports and the tourist traps. I mean, you actually get out in the countryside and you meet people like I have. Russia has a history that's very different than the United States history. And our Number one error I think we make in foreign policy is we expect the entire world to be mini-me's, to be many United States's, and that's just not going to work in the, in the vast majority of situations because a, a civilization like ours requires a culture like ours, and there's aspects of our culture that some other cultures absolutely can't stand, and that's something I think Americans of just all sorts of persuasions uh, rarely get. And so I think we're about to do something really dumb. I think we're about to hit a hornet's nest. And my fear is this particular administration, I want to be nice, or at least not too mean. Is it fair to say that this administration doesn't command the respect and competence of most Americans, and for that matter, most of the world? I think, is that a reasonable thing to say? Because that's what I want to say. I think it's fair to say. He doesn't even command respect from his wife has to tell him to wave on Easter. Did you see that footage? I've seen some really, really sad videos lately. Yes. Yeah. I mean, there was the one, I mean, it's, it's to a point where, you know, listen, this woman wanted to be... She wanted to be first lady more than he wanted to be president. And it's it's gotten really, in my opinion, really sad when when you're at a point where he's going to shake hands with a ghost, you know, and and you're at a point where you know he's she's helping him read a book to children. It is it's pretty bad. 
Well, yes, it's it's the Hitler kissing babies, you know, <laughs> and and uh, you know, being a student of World War II as well, the West doesn't seem to understand how Russia won World War II. And by the way, John Wayne didn't come over the hill and save the world from Nazi aggression. That was primarily Russians did that. It's just a fact. It doesn't mitigate the bravery or the things that that U.S. and British and other uh, service people did. But it, but the Germans and the Russians lost more people in one battle, twice as many people in just one battle of Stalingrad than we lost in the entire war. So, uh, you know, Germany had roughly about 160 divisions uh, that it could actually field in war. One was in the Middle East, basically fighting the British Empire, and about 30 were in France, with the Atlantic Wall, the rest were in Russia. And the vast majority of World War II from the European theater was Russia at war. And if you study how Russia goes to war, it isn't like how the United States goes to war. It just isn't. Russia has always, always, always in its battles struggled at first. And it's always due to logistics. Always, always, always. If you want to know why they got their butts kicked so bad in World War II was they couldn't even retreat. They didn't have the mechanization and the logistical ability to even retreat properly. And, but they've always found a way to come back, and they're a hardy people, and this is what the West doesn't get. To, to the average American, Ukraine, even the ones that have an opinion on it, is a one, maybe a two-level issue. To a lot of Russians, I'd, I'm going to bet, having been there and spent so much time there, I would bet 50% of Russians, even if they don't necessarily like Putin or if they would prefer a different choice, they absolutely hate, I'll say it again for dramatic effect, they absolutely hate the incessant and constant lecturing and patronization that is doled out to, to the Russian people by the West. You need to do this. You need to do that. What you're doing is wrong. This is wrong. You're not becoming a capitalist country properly. Well, you know, we told the Chinese the same thing, too. And they said, no, we're going to kind of keep a blended economy here. We kind of saw what you did in Russia, and it didn't turn out real good, to be blunt. And so this particular war, to us, this is like, oh, my goodness, Russia has failed. It's over. Well, it's not over. And it's not even no. close to over. And if you look at the history of how Russia fights war, it's only just beginning. Because they are completely used to fighting a war of engaged attrition. Well, let me tell you something. And, and, and this is on my mind because I was – and Lee can tell you. I called him like 7.30 in the morning on Saturday because it was the first time I saw it. I was furious at what I saw on CNN about this network. And – the problem is, is that they would say, if they were listening to this right now, that we are spouting pure uh, a pro-propaganda, um, Russian propaganda, okay? But here's the truth. All we're doing is talking about the truth. What where the propaganda is, is the fairy tale by the American media that Ukraine is winning and can win this thing. 
Anybody who knows anything about military knows that Ukraine has no chance. And the only thing that we're actually doing by encouraging them not to surrender is causing more death. That's all we're doing. They should have surrendered a long time ago. I actually think we're doing more than that. I think what we're actually doing is we're encouraging an escalation because what will happen, because you're exactly right. They're doomed. Now, they might hang on another 90 days. They might hang on another six months, but they're doomed unless the United States shifts from just giving some defensive weapons. And this is where people don't understand. You don't just give our weapons are complex. Even the, even our rifles nowadays are fairly complex things. They require a little bit of training and the advanced things. You don't just hand it to someone and say, okay, start using it. It takes a little, it takes some time to get these people trained in these sorts of things. And that's an economic factor too. Russia can lose 10,000 people. Ukraine can't. If all it takes is one battle to be lost, significant battle by the Ukrainians, and if, they're, uh, and if that army gets encircled and cut off, it's over. So what I think is actually happening is the pressure, and I, and I feel it, some congressmen even say, well, it's, it's wrong to be going on Sputnik in a time of war, you know. We're at war now? When did that happen? I thought we were staying out of this. We were just on a def- we're helping a country on a defensive side. But I hear this talk of war and all this kind of stuff. And so it seems to me there is growing pressure. And I kind of thought I would expect it from the Republicans, because in my lifetime, at least, they've been the hawks. But the hawks nowadays are the Democrats. They all want to go to war, it seems like, and they all want to start going down the offensive. And that's a different story. It's one thing to give somebody a weapon that is primarily a defensive weapon. That is, it's one thing to give somebody an 88, an, an 88 millimeter you know, anti-tank gun. It's another thing to give them an F-15, for instance. And so it seems to me that the, that the winds of war, or better said, the American winds of war are growing, and there is an increasing call for the United States and NATO to take an active, aggressive role, which, if you look at the history of this, is the very thing the Russians were worried about in the first place. They're like, okay, we've kind of been burned by Western invaders like three times in recent history. We're kind of tired of it. And that's why we had all these satellite countries when we were a big communist empire. Now we're not. And all of a sudden, and you guys promised us that you weren't going to expand east and east and east and east. And you lied and lied and lied. And it looks to us like you want NATO to surround us if you could. And this, if, if you have that sort of worry as a Russian, this just reinforces that. And what happens in game theory when you reinforce people's positions? They become more intransient. And when they become intransient, you get a northwest corner solution where it becomes a rational choice to use nukes. Well, now you're talking about Sweden and Finland joining NATO, possibly. I mean, we're really trying to provoke this. Well, yes. Uh, Every time I turn on the news nowadays, it's about, well, what would cause Vladimir Putin to use nuclear weapons. What, 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 again, the mainstream press shows a complete, not just a little bit, a complete ignorance of American-Russian history. Russia always said, we'll be the last to use nuclear, not Russia, the Soviet Union always said, we'll be the last to use nuclear weapons. 
the United States said, thank you very much. We'll be the first because we can't stop you once you turn your tanks west, but we can stop you with nukes. That's, that's been the Cold War status quo since the Cold War. And then when, when communism fell, when the Soviet Union imploded, now the question was, who should have all the nukes? Well, we didn't want the satellite countries to have them. And in my opinion, you know, we, we failed the Russian people by not – we had an opportunity in the 90s to do something really spectacular. And uh, we blew it. And what we gave them was a capitalism that had the worst of capitalism and the worst of socialism. Uh, and it took them a full decade and a half to snap out of it. And the problem is they had to snap out of it through somewhat of a strong man sort of political engagement. And that seems just crystal clear to me because you can't have a democracy without the cultural glue that holds it together. It's like, is Ukraine a democracy? Well, they have elections, but does anybody really believe Ukraine is the bastion of democratic thought in the world? Are they this little democracy that could? And I don't see it. I, I, I just don't. It seems to me Ukraine's exceptionally corrupt on the level of the Philippines and Indonesia and that kind of that level of corruption. Well, we used to agree with that until about 10 minutes ago. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? We used to agree with that in the media until about 10 minutes ago when we were told that they're the bastion of good. Exactly. And what I'm worried about is you can go down a road where it's very difficult to turn around. And I don't see any U.S. interest other than humanitarian in getting involved in, in Ukraine. It seems to me it's a Russian-Ukrainian and an Eastern European issue. And Mark, we're out of time, but a great appearance as usual. Hopefully talk to you soon. Mark Frost, economist and military expert. Thanks for joining us. When we come back, we'll be talking about some aspects of the war that are going on right now. I'm seeing some outright lying in the media in describing things. Let's take a break on the backstory. Live from the Empire of Lies. It's time for the second hour of the show that brings you the truth behind the headlines. This is the backstory. And great appearance by Mark Frost. Mark knows a lot, doesn't he, Carmen? Fantastic appearance. Yeah, and he brought up a lot of valid stuff that there wasn't enough time to talk to him about. But one of the things you pointed out that push to get Finland and Sweden in NATO and as a provocation. In Finland, they're not even going to put it up to a referendum so that people can decide. Have you heard that? And I don't think Russia will necessarily wait around to see how it's going to play out. 
course not. Of course not. You have to know that. I mean, come on. They can't not possibly know this. But if other people do, there's a reason they don't want it for a, re a referendum for the people. It's because they know the people aren't with them. But grandparents, thanks to Mark Frost, coming up this hour, Michelle Askenazi, the bail queen of New York, talking about New York crime, Eric Adams, Frank James, the subway shooter, and other stuff with Michelle Askenazi. And taking your calls, 202-521-1320. This is the backstory. The other point that uh, he hit on a little bit perfectly, but we didn't, there wasn't enough time. And the U.S. is doing so much screwed up stuff, it's hard to fit it all in. But the U.S. is also obviously wanting to provoke something with China. Are you seeing that, Mark? What is the Why reason now? What is the reason? Why are we trying to provoke World War III? It seems like we're trying to start World War III, and I can't figure out why. What's the game here? Well, it would get a little attention off Hunter Biden. That's the most cynical thing I can say. But, in fact, I've said that. I'll, I'll continue my cynicism. I'm just going to ask something theoretically, because I don't think there's any possible way Ukraine can win. They can't. And I think we're, we're seeing that. But let me ask you a question to the spirit of Sean Hannity. Sean Hannity, Fox News, he's a Republican, and he's a Trump supporter, and I 100% believe he's a Trump supporter. But what does Sean Hannity think is going to happen to the evidence about Biden corruption in Ukraine if Ukraine wins? Do you think there's any possibility that if Ukraine prevails, there's going to be any justice on the issue that I think you should care about as an American, which is the Biden corruption in Ukraine. And there's undoubtedly Biden corruption. Do you see any possibility the Zelensky regime is going to come out and say, oh, yeah, here's all the bad stuff we have on Biden? Absolutely not. Furthermore, you're now in a position that when Russia does defeat them, okay, and Russia releases the, the, the truth about Biden and all. And by the way, Biden and the Biden family are not the only politicians that have corrupt ties in the Ukraine. That list goes on and on. Why do you think they're defending Ukraine with all their heart? There's, there's wars happening all over the world, but you see the Ukraine fight. Why? Why are they defending it so hard? Because so many of our politicians have corrupt and shady deals tied up in the Ukraine from both sides of the aisle that it's ridiculous. Anyway, I digress. When Russia reveals this information, guess what they're going to do? They're going to do the same thing they've been doing for four years. Same thing they did with the Hunter Biden laptop, Russian disinformation, Russian propaganda. The media is going to shoot it down. There's going to be no investigation. And they talk about us here at Sputnik being a propaganda machine. You want to see a propaganda machine? Put on the American news media. It's the biggest propaganda machine. And I'm talking about all the networks. It is the biggest propaganda machine 
talking point distribution that I've ever seen. The only one that I've seen that has any cajones to 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 fight it is Tucker Carlson. And he's attacked relentlessly for that. And you can see that. And he's not defended aggressively by Fox. I think Tucker, I, I would have liked it if Elon Musk would buy the freedom of Tucker Carlson. Because, you know, what do you think Tucker makes? A lot. Yeah, but, but define a lot. Do you think it's $10 million? I think I would say at least fifteen million a year. Okay, but even fifteen million a year, Elon Musk could afford that, right? Oh uh, yeah, that's walking around change for Elon Musk. I would, I would love to see Tucker in an environment where he's not beholden to anyone's economic interests, and this is what I'm saying: if Elon wanted to do it in a way that helped Tucker make it a lump sum payment, just give him whatever, 200 million, and say, be an independent journalist for a few years. That'd be amazing. And, and say, how do your dogs for us? But- He's, he's uh, agreeing, man. Of, of course. But would you like to see what Tucker could do if he were completely unchained Murdoch. Oh yeah, oh yeah. But they would bury him too, though. They would bury him. I, Elon Musk, man, Elon Musk could do so much good besides Twitter. Take over a, or create your own actual news organization, bro. Where we get straight news in this country. Like, there's so much he can do, and it's why he's so dangerous. It's why he's so dangerous to those because we are in a society now, and and, and we talk about we. We pound our chest and talk about free speech, but we're we're the most anti-free speech I've ever seen in my lifetime. And if if you dare say something against the the you know the the talking points, well, no, the government's not going to come after you, but you're going to be depersoned by Twitter and Google and Facebook and all the powers that be. So you could be shouting into the wind because nobody's going to hear you. Here's a here's a. Uh, proposal for the news team at Twitter after Elon Musk takes over. You buy out, you pay them off lump sum payments in cash beforehand, so they're not dependent on what they say. But I'll tell you who. Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Glenn Greenwald. Oh, yeah. That would be devastating. And on on an uncancelable platform, Twitter and Twitter, as I said, Twitter can get into if they brought back elements that they've gotten rid of a periscope and made it the video streaming platform and audio streaming platform. So those guys could have a platform to say stuff. Imagine what that would do for democracy. It'd be frightening. And you'd get a mix of views. Because the thing I've said before about Rogan is it's not that he takes a position. It's not the position. By the way, the other breaking headline is you heard a federal judge struck down 
the federal mask mandates on airplanes and buses right before it came on the air. Right, Caroline? I, uh, I, I saw a glimpse of it. A federal judge has ruled that the federal mandate for masks on planes and buses, I know that, because here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, when I take the bus, I have to wear a mask. And they say it's a federal rule, not a local. Any mass transit, which includes buses, uh, a federal judge has struck that down. So there's one of the last mandates related to COVID. But by the way, and so continuing the point I was making, the dangerous thing about Rogan was he who presented not a specific view, but alternate views. He presented a variety of views. And I've always said, that's the real danger of him. But if you took those people, Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, Glenn Greenwald, and had them on a non-shutdownable, that's not a word, but okay, on a non-shutdownable social media platform, that would be devastating. I might also suggest myself, but, you know, I don't think they'd want to pay me 10 years in advance because they might not make it. I'm not being morbid. It's a horrible thing to say, though. I know, but I'm realistic. 202-521-1320. Let's go to phone calls. First, our friend Brave in Atlanta. Hey, what's going on, guys? I uh, was calling to see if there, if there had been any... I'm sorry, I'm tuning in kind of late, so if you already covered it, I'm, I, I apologize, but I was calling to see if there had been any new uh, developments with Gonzalo Libra, uh, his dis- supposed disappearance. No, as far as I know, he's still among the disappeared. And I, I, I've heard persistent rumors that he was taken by the SPU. And if so, I'll put it like this. He said, if I am not available for 12 hours, you should put me on the list of the disappeared. And it's been 48 hours, at least. So there's no news on Gonzalo. What do you think of that, Brave? I was going to say, I think that's really sad because, you know, I know we always uh, expect for, or we always uh, hit the mainstream media in hopes that they will uh, turn around at some point and do the jobs that we all expect of them, which they're not, obviously, because they're they're uh, compromised, they're, they're bought. Uh, but with all the coverage they do of journalists, I guess, that report in their favor um, and the fact that Gonzalo does such great work and that his his, uh, his story is being uh, put out on so many platforms, you would just think or you would just hope that they would just this one time, you know, just this one time do the right thing and give it some attention. But obviously they wouldn't because of the coverage he does. Um, I, I was just calling in to see if there had been any, any, if you guys had maybe heard anything else. Also, Carmine asked the question, why, why, uh, concerning uh, going after China? And I, I would say, you asked the question, Carmine, the answer rhymes with great reset. <laughs> and I'll leave it there. 
Yeah, but if if the if if there's nobody left for the Great Reset, I mean, nuclear war does not end well. Well, consider that consider that um, population control is a large part of, of what uh, these elites have been uh, striving for. Look at oh, now you're talking. Uh, now you're talking. Yeah, look at Gates. Look at Gates and his and uh, it was brought up on fault lines. Uh, earlier this morning, I was surprised. I haven't heard many people talking about it. But Bill Gates has been going on. He's been on a mission to buy up as much resources. Like so, he's buying up all kinds of farmland and stuff like that. I wouldn't be farmland by the truckload, bro. And you know why? Yeah. Because he's trying to force us. In, he's trying to force us into the artificial meat. Right. You control the resources, man. You control the people. He, he said that himself. So I don't know, man. Uh, it's just a sad thing, and it's really scary. But I guess all we can do is laugh about it until until we're on fire or something. I don't know. But uh, thank you guys very much for taking my call. You bet. Great call, Brave. And that that issue of Bill Gates and the farmland, we talked about it a little bit before. But if we can find any guests, Rod, that might be something we want to dig into deeper. How concerned are you about that issue, Carmine? Huge, very. That's 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 an incredible amount of power, and it's frightening. And you don't trust Bill Gates to do the right thing? No. Okay. Just checking. No. Two two five two one thirteen twenty. Let's go to Sharif. Sharif, what's on your mind today? Thank y'all for taking my call. First, I'd like to say free journal science and. All our hearts and prayers goes out to Gonzalo Lira. I used to watch his episodes when he was Coach Ray Pill. Um, here I go. My first comment, um, I have three comments. Uh, Scott Ritter came out with an analyst of the Javelin missile. He came to find out that it's failing in large percentages over there in um, Ukraine. A lot, a lot of Russian tanks is surviving by multiple hits. Because of the uh, armor package the Russian tanks have, but my second comment is dealing with the um, Putin statement: a barrage of Western sanctions against Russia has failed. So basically, what he was saying that the goal was to quickly undermine financial and economic situation in in, in our in the in the country, provoking panic on the markets, collapsing the banking system, and large-scale shortage of goods in the stores in the stores. You know, putting stresses putting stresses on uh, social and economic issues in the country, right? But he say so. He came out confidently saying that the policy towards Russia has basically failed. The blitzkrieg, the blitzkrieg uh, strategy has failed completely, and they are bouncing back from that. That's my second comment. My third comment: In the months, I was reading some articles and some um, analysts dealing with Elon Musk. The thing is, just with Elon Musk, he's bluffing Twitter. He don't really have the uh, liquid money to buy it for four three billion, but he might have the money combined with somebody else like Peter Thiel or some other people from Twitter, if he still Twitter's uh, market share right to invest twenty five billion in his own platform with some other people, where they can basically destroy Twitter by creating their own um, own platform. And basically, constantly promoting it as free speech, freedom, free speech, because he's putting he put himself out there as Mr. Free Speech guy. He gonna draw a lot of Twitter investors over to him and other investors because people want free speech so bad. And that's basically 
with the new platform, if he come out with one, take his money out of Twitter and everybody else, Twitter will collapse. He'll build his own his new platform and that'd be it for Twitter and then you have something else. You see what I'm saying? Thank you for taking my call, Lee. And um come on. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you, brother. Thanks, Sharif. I will say something slightly cynical. I don't think there's a market for free speech. I'm not convinced that if he started this new platform and said, well, a free speech, people would flock to it. You see what I'm saying, Carmine? I think I see lots of people, people speaking out against Elon Musk, who don't want freedom of speech, and they're willing to give up some of their freedom of speech. So if you say something wrong, or if you're Donald Trump, or if you mislabel someone's gender, you can be taken down. I'm not convinced. You see what I'm saying, Cameron? That that there's a market for free speech. Um, no, I disagree. I think people want it. I'm. I, some people want it, but some people clearly don't want it. And that's my point. And the Spotify thing showed that some people, I'll put it like this, like with musicians who were leaving Spotify. Neil Young's music being on Spotify was not hurt by Joe Rogan also being an option on Spotify. But he virtue signals so hard and he had so much support by people who said, no, no, no. You have to take this one guy off. It can't be an option. But I'm convinced that they've created a market for censorship and that you talked about sheep or cows as you called them. I'm convinced a lot of people want that and it's it's disgusting to me and it's Profoundly un-American, but I see people. The principle—I'll I'll go so far as to say—the principle of free speech. In fact, the underlying, what I call sticks and stones principle, that said, sticks and stones can break my bones, but names will never hurt me. So many people don't believe in that anymore. Because that is the basis of the speech censorship that sticks and stones, you know, apply that principle to transgender issues. Well, Carmine, do you think that too many people don't believe in the principle that sticks and stones will break my bones, but names will never hurt me? Do you see that? Yeah. Well, people don't want free speech anymore on the left anyway. They want a totalitarian regime. That's right. And if this free speech platform started, Elon Musk started an alternate platform, no Democrat would go there. No, probably not. Well, they would. They would go there just to troll us. But a few of them would. But most of them wouldn't want to. And people like Joe Biden would not be on that platform, right? But if he buys the big, Twitter, they're already there. Right. And I don't think they'd leave. 
And that's the big deal. That's why, I, unfortunately, cynically, I don't, because I've thought this through, I don't think that simply starting another platform does anything because the audience doesn't transfer. 202-521-1320. Let's go to Ingrid in D.C. Hi, Lee. You, you are so right. Uh, some people may want free speech, but fewer all the time. And not only the social media platform is, will unperson you, but your supposed friends will unperson you if you say the wrong thing. Um, but on this, on Ukraine, this thing that so many people are saying, well, I'm not interested, it's not my country, just the, what you said about um, the, in, the um, evidence against Biden, there's many, many reasons why uh, people should be caring, and it's, it's a cop-out to not be interested in something that is really very relevant to to the United States in many ways. But what I want to say on Gonzalo, he didn't set out to quite this way. It started, he was in a hotel on a trip to Kiev when the war started. And he his first post was fairly innocent. And it was to his his old following as Coach Red Pill, but the the Ukrainian uh, Zelensky people did not like it, and he got kicked out of his hotel. So then he he took it personally. He it, one thing led to another. He he started um, you know talking about why they kicked him out of his hotel, and 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 then his trip back on the train to Kharkov, and how all the Lights were on and, and they had water and everything else. And but then I think one of the things that set him off was early on, there was a mayor of some town that had said the wrong thing and was shot point blank by the Zelensky thugs. So it, it all sort of escalated. And I think he really enjoyed, you know, he said a couple of times it was thrilling to be in in at the height of the action and his life was just incredible. And he was just really getting off on how incredible his life was. But I think one of his, his big mistake was that he let people get to him because he had trolls accusing him that he wasn't in Ukraine and he made a few trips out. And especially the one where he went to some chocolate store, you know, if those uh, thugs were looking for him, he was giving them too many clues. So I hope he's, he's, He's just gone quiet for safety's sake or the Internet is down or something like that, because it was, um, it was really amazing what he was doing. No, I agree. And I, I like I liked him personally. I liked the way he talked and he was just saying what he thought. And I saw someone saying. Attacking him. On YouTube, a video attacking him. When he's missing, if he's been killed, God forbid, if he's been killed, there needs to be, he's a U.S. citizen who's killed by the Zelensky regime. But I know, I'm disgusted enough with people where I know there's going to be a lot of people who say he deserved it. And they will say he deserved it for things he said. And that's what I mean. There's not a market for his speech. Now, I, I want to talk about 
We're almost at the bottom of the hour. When we come back from the break, we'll be talking to Michelle Eskenazi, the bail queen in New York. But before that, I want to say something. I listened to NPR. I was prepping for the show as I listened to NPR and Fox, and they both said the same thing. They talked about Mariupol, and they called the people who were there, the Ukrainian troops, defenders. That pissed me off. They are not defending the people of Mariupol. The Ukrainian troops there, and Patrick Lancaster does videos on this, they are attacking the people. There are snipers around the city. These are not defenders. They are not defending anything except the Zelensky regime. The people in Mariupol, they talked about it on Patrick Lancaster's videos, how they wouldn't let doctors out, how they would attack people. And have you seen Patrick Lancaster's videos, Carmine? I have not. Those are amazing. If you look up Patrick Lancaster on Twitter, he does videos from the war zone. He's an American, but he speaks Ukrainian. And he just walks up to people and asks them. You can see the beginning of his conversation with people. Well, say, what's going on? What do you think of the Ukrainians and the Russians? And the Russians are helping the people of Mariupol. And unfortunately, the Ukrainian military use those people as human shields, and they know it. And so the fact that they're being called defenders and that they're saying things on Fox like they're making their last stand to defend Mariupol. Also, the Zelensky regime has made it very clear if the mercenaries or the military, Russia's giving them one last chance to surrender. And the Zelensky regime has made it very clear if they surrender, they will be killed. If they surrender, they will be shot. Made it very clear. They're not even defending the troops. There's no defense going on. So, any comment on that, Carmine, before we go to break? He's a scumbag. Everybody knows it. They're not a democracy. They're a totalitarian regime. He's just in a video of him where it looks like he's drunk. Everyone? He's no, no, uh, but I'm serious. He's spinning around in his chair, in his office oh, yeah, chair. Oh, yeah, 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 yes. I don't know what's up there, but that's weird. So enough said on that for now. I called him Hunter Zelensky, and I think I'm right. Let's take a short break. When we come back, Michelle Askenazi, the bail queen of New York, will be joining me and Carmine Xavier here on The Backstory.
We're back on the Back Troy, 105.5 FM, AM 1390 in Washington, D.C., and all over the damn internet. We're joined by guest co-host Carmine Savia on a Carmine Monday here on the Backstory. And our next guest is the Bale Queen of New York, good friend of the show, the great Michelle Eskenazi. Hey, Michelle, how you doing? Hey, Lee, how are you? I'm okay. So let me let me start. I'm going to ask Carmine something, because, and then we'll get we'll get to your your segment, Michelle. But I want to ask Carmine, where you are in Northern Jersey, do you go into New York much? Uh, I used to. Okay. What What do you mean by you used to? I don't do anymore. I used- okay. Why? Why should you? Well, <laughs> New York right now is reminding me of the New York I grew up with in the 70s and 80s. Um, Giuliani and and Bloomberg, to his credit, had that city safe. And then came Mr. Progressive, Mr. Soft on Crime. Oh, let's give the criminals all the rights and tie the hands of the police. And what a a coincidence when you give the criminals all the rights and tie the hands of police, crime rises. And now poor Eric Adams, who I think, I personally think, and I make a disagreement here, I think is, 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 as far as Democrats go, I think a good mayor who's going to, who's trying really hard. Agreed. But he's inherited a heck of a mess. Agreed. And that's why I want to ask Carmine first, because I want to get the perspective. Many of us aren't in easy metro distance or driving distance in New York. But I want to point out, that all, I talk to a lot of people in the Northeast who won't go to New York now. And Michelle, you said, why would you? Well, Michelle, is that the perception of people in New York that New York has become so dangerous that it's not a good tourist city anymore? Listen, Lee, here it is. Okay, you ready? Anybody that doesn't have to go to New York City, like to go to work, shouldn't go there. I don't care if they're from Colorado, North or South Dakota, um, Maine, nobody should go. And the huge lobby, the travel and tourism industry, which has nine gazillion dollars, should be using its big special interest influence to straighten things out, because they could if they wanted to, along with the Retail Association, the National Retail Association, because they're getting screwed big time. So my answer to everyone in America and everyone that's listening to your broadcast is if you do not have to go to New York City, including my cousins who also live in North Jersey and Arlington, do not go. You're taking your life into your own hands. Well, then, Michelle, I have to ask you one question before we get on to other topics. I have to ask you one very important question. Did, did you have your pizza game this weekend? Did I have my what? Pizza game. You're Italian, right? No, I'm Cuban. <laughs> uh, okay. Like my ex. Glenn, so oh. that's what you're hearing. Yeah, you got that Italian New Jersey accent. Yeah, no, I know. I grew up with all Italians, but no, we have... Um... We have special bread pudding and different things for pasta. Oh, 
My best friend's Cuban. Oh, good. Good people. The best people. He makes me empanadas all the time. Well, empanadas aren't necessarily Cuban, but I'm sure that they're good. <laughs> they're amazing. Anyway, back to what we were talking about. Yeah, I mean, you go back to this whole Frank. By the way, let me just laugh at the media for a second. Let me tell you guys something. Here's the tell, folks. When they tell you they're looking for a male, six foot three, two, whatever, 250 pound male, and they don't mention the race, it ain't a white guy. It, it, it's actually hilarious to watch because if they're white, they got somebody on CNN talking about a white supremacist, nationalist, Trump supporter within five minutes. No, what I was going to say is people that live their lives, you know what I'm saying, that they're law-abiding people, they're making dinner, they're working from Zoom still, they're getting the kids and everything, they're not thinking about the guy on, C on CBS or NBC or CNN didn't say black or white. They're just kind of glancing at it, and they don't realize it until a guy like Carmine says, oh, yeah, by the way, they didn't say that he was an Indian. They didn't say that, you know, he had green polka dots, but they will say it when they're talking about their political. Excuse my French. Correct. Like, Correct. Yeah, you you got to watch the language because we're on radio. Michelle. Sorry, sorry. They will. They will. They will do it when they're talking about the black and brown community. Then and only then do they constantly talk about the color of people's skin. I admonished the Senate when I did my Senate testimony. I was like, Martin Luther King said we're not supposed to describe people by the color of our skin. So I'm not, we're not allowed to use the Washington Redskins anymore. So, like, don't, you know, I know people that are black and brown that are lawyers, cops, and judges. It's disgusting. Like, cut it out. But when you look— Well, the problem is, too, in a situation like this, when you're looking for the suspect, when the suspect is at large, the color of that suspect's skin— could be very helpful in finding the suspect. Carmine, you're 100% right. Of course you're 100% right. What I'm just saying is that most New Yorkers don't have, I mean, New Yorkers more so than any other you know, brand of human, but most people, let's say, don't think about that in the moment. You know, You have to be extra savvy to think about something like that. Well, now, the other thing is, Let's say you do decide to go into New York as a tourist. So you brave New York. You say, I'm going to risk it. And you sit down for a nice Broadway show, something like that. Tom Nichols pointed this out last week. As before the play or the musical or whatever, they come out and they do an announcement. And they say, this land was stolen from Indians. And they don't even say Indians, Native Americans. The indigenous people, Eight, and not last week, and and they give us bummer announcement, and that's the Are same. You kidding me? What's that? Yeah. Oh no, they do. They have to now. Oh my god, that is just absolutely absurd. I mean, this whole movement is just so incredibly absurd. Lee and I have been talking about this it feels like for a decade almost but um it just gets more and more bizarre like as i don't know it just it just it's so bizarre it's just so crazy and it's also a bummer of a way to begin your evening of entertainment so and it's not relevant because if if you 
feel you're performing in some place that was stolen, give it back. You know, quit your job as a well-paid actor on Broadway. Do us a favor. But yeah, they, they and it really does. I, it was amazing. Tom Nichols told us about it, and then I saw somebody doing it. I'm like, wow. It's absolutely hilarious. It's hilarious. And I think they don't realize how stupid they look. It's bizarre. I don't really, I know I keep saying that, but I just can't in my mind. But here's my, because here's my argument, Michelle. If you're that concerned about we stole the land, then if you have a home, go find yourself a Native American family, give them your home, and you go move into the, into the forest. Yeah, well, that's a brilliant idea, but you and I both know that's definitely not going to be happening. But it's like, it's almost like critical race theory on steroids, right? It's like, boom, boom, this, we're bringing our children. Like, my first Broadway show was The King and I with Yul Brenner back in the day-day. And, like, of course, they didn't say stuff like that. But, I mean, if they did, I likely might remember it. You know what I'm saying? At this age. So it's like... It's kind of like they're just contaminating the minds of whoever they can contaminate. And ironically, people are paying to be um, served, you know, this information. But, you know, Eric Adams can only do what he can do. I mean, Albany essentially put a kiss on bail reform. But we are the only blue trifecta that um, changed bail reform twice since its rollout on 1120. So I am kind of proud of that. Now, right now, now ex explain what that means to so people who have heard you before. Explain the bail reform thing. Well, um, Governor uh, Don Cuomo, who got ousted, by the way, um, put bail reform, which is a huge funded paid political agenda by Soros and company, put it into the budget in the middle of the night when everybody was sleeping, April 2019. For a one one twenty rollout, and the people of the state of New York, there's no citizens' right to know bills or anything like that, so they didn't have any idea what was going on. They just thought, you know, poor people were languishing, and that's probably unfair, especially if they're just stealing loaves of bread. So he put it in the budget, and then it rolled out on one one twenty. Then, unbeknownst to Don Cuomo, COVID came out March twenty twenty. And he was like the king of media. And here he was, and it was an immediate debacle, and it was in the media every single day nationally. And he it was being interviewed by all these reporters, and they were like, Governor, COVID, COVID, bail reform, bail reform, bail reform, COVID. And he, like, wanted it to go away immediately. So he put it back in the budget on 4 of 20 and added some more charges, like vehicular manslaughter, for example. And... So that was our First Amendment. And now, um, of course, he's no longer the governor. Kathy Hochul comes through, and she, her first set of statements are, well, I don't have any proof that bail reform doesn't work. Unbeknownst to her, there were no quantified numbers in the past two years. And then she had no choice but to politically change it because the Democrats are going to be dying soon from this crime wave throughout the nation. Now, let's, let's go... Command Central, we have the Eric Adams quote. After Frank, right? Let's get that audio ready. After Frank James, the man who shot up a subway car and let off smoke bombs, 
uh, was arrested. Eric Adams has been dealing with that. And let's listen to a recent TV appearance by Eric Adams. It brings up a couple of things that are germane to the discussion. Hit it. Your campaign, but major crimes have continued to rise on your watch. How do you explain it? What more can be done? A national problem. Uh, you know, I say over and over again, there are many rivers that feed uh, the sea of violence. Uh, this is a national issue. It's not a red state, blue state. In fact, red states uh, experience a higher murder, murder rate uh, than uh, blue states. Uh, Tulsa is three times the murder rate of Los Angeles. Mississippi, K- Kentucky, Louisiana, uh, those are the highest murder rates in our entire country. Uh, I think the president has done an amazing job, but you've heard the narrative beforehand about the funding the police. Let me tell you what the defunders of police are. Those are those who did not vote on the Build Back Better bill. Money was in that bill for uh, police officers. We have 2,400 ATF agents in our country. Only 80 80 are in New York. We need to double that amount. We need to go after the ghost guns. We need to put a head to ATF in place, put in place a real gun tracing program, and then we have to be preventive. Uh, Many of these generational social problems have become the pipeline to violence. And the only thing that is beating that pipeline is the pipeline of guns that are coming in our inner cities. Big cities are hurting all across America. We're going to do our job. We took 1,800 guns off the street uh, this year. Uh, and we know that they continue to flow into our cities all across America. Now, let me say this. I'm in South Dakota. South Dakota, I could walk into Shields the sporting goods store here, buy a gun with no check, and then I could publicly carry it. I'm, I assume that gun laws are not liberal in New York. I assume you can't just go in and buy a gun. What is he talking about, Michelle? Is this more liberal gobbledygook on crime? That, I mean, it's politically, I mean, he's, he's quite the politician because he's talking about seas and rivers. And if you really roll that back and listen to the language, it's more like a Lionel Richie song. So <laughs> I'm just saying, but what, you know, what I'm saying to you is like, honestly, there are plenty of people that are on our subway systems that don't have money for guns that are stabbing, raping, pillaging, and they're using box cutters because they don't have enough money. So I know he thinks that President Biden did a great job, but here's what I think. I think President Biden and Eric Adams should ride the trains without security for a week and then come back and reassess. I would agree. And uh, how do you think that would go, Carmine? Um, If they made it back? They would change their minds. <laughs> but, I mean, making it back would be tough in and of itself. Yeah, there you go. Now, what is the crime problem that New York's facing? Uh, for instance, in L.A., I know this because of an article in the L.A. Times about it. They've ad- Criminals have adapted their techniques. They're now following rich people home. Yeah. They're now... F- what kind of have there been any crime adaptations in New York City? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, there's been plenty. Listen, let me tell you something. When bail reform was rolling out, my, you know, I'm the bail bond queen, right? So my narcotic entrepreneurs came to me to, like, find out if it was true. They were like, queen, 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 is it true that we ain't going to jail? And I was like, we ain't going to get no bail no more? After January 1st, I was like, uh, well, I can't give legal advice because I'm not a lawyer, but, uh, yeah, sounds about right. So they were like, oh, snap, I guess we're going to wait till after January 1st to get things done. So, you know what I mean? So, yeah, of course they know. A lot of these guys are pretty smart. You know, they run criminal enterprises. So, I mean, look, I mean, the fact of the matter is if they don't want to clean up crime, then America is just going to clean them out of their jobs. And that's what's going to happen. You know, it's three more years of this torture. I don't care what Eric Adams says, because I know that he has national aspirations politically. So, of course, he's going to say, oh, Biden's doing a great job. Yay. You know, so, of course, he's going to say that, because if he doesn't say that, he's not going, his campaign's not going to get funded. I mean, that's politics 101. So, I mean, look, I mean, they they just have to cut it out because, you know, public safety has nothing to do with political ideology. Caroline? I agree. I think I think I'm not surprised by what he said about Biden because his his thoughts are on national office. Right. How long is he now? Two years or four years? I'm sorry, Lee. Four. And I don't forget also. He did also call out Black Lives Matter. Let's not forget that. Yeah, no, that was good. That was good. You know, I think, listen, he's trying, what they're using him for is to try to present a Democrat party that's still progressive, but get back on the tough on crime thing like they had when they had the, the crime bill that Biden and, and, and Clinton helped uh, help get done. They better get on that right game because they sound like a bunch of kindergartners. Now, Jason Goodman, who's sometimes a co-host on the show, he's also in New York. And he said he's seen lots of cases. And he's not saying this is a person who hates the police. He's a person who backs the blue. But he says he sees lots of New York City cops checking their cell phone for messages or whatever, not doing anything proactively about crime. And I think the would reason you? for that would you? Well, I think the reason why I was going to say is no cop has been indicted for checking his messages, but <laughs> we've seen it all around the country. Cops. Well, you said been... the other day with the, they're having protests now for this guy who got shot. He got shot in the back of the head. He got shot in the back of the head. Yeah. He also had the cops taser. He's, he was not armed. No, the second he got control of that taser, he was armed. Yeah. Here, nobody wants to point out the, you know, should the cop have shot him? Should the cop not have shot him? I don't know. I'm not a policing expert, but here's what I do know for a fact that nobody's talking about. If he doesn't fight the cop, step one. If step one doesn't happen where he fights the cop, he's alive today. Yeah. Well, I mean, listen, honestly, Carmine Lee, you know, criminality is a choice, right? It's not a mandate. It's a career choice. But, you know, the thing about NYPD is that they have, um, you know, gotten really, really tormented with qualified immunity, right? So they can be sued um, and their personal lives can be changed forever. 
So um, if I were in law enforcement, I would look the other way as well. So basically the, um, you know, Eric Adams saying, oh, we added 1,800 more. Yeah. But look what happened to those two beautiful young Latino boys that just passed away recently that were murdered. I mean, they had big eyes and visions of being saviors. They wanted to be policemen all their lives, and they grew up in the inner city. And look what happened to them, because there's no respect for police. So until you can bring that back, that there's, you know, this kind of circle is just going to continue. And then it goes back to your first question, Lee, which was, should we be going to New York City? Well, the answer is a, a resounding no. And so what's, what's your solution, B. Michelle? What do you think? Because I asked, we were talking about this last week. I was asking whether bro broken windows placing, the idea that if you enforce the small laws, the big laws take care of themselves. Michelle, you're in law enforcement. What do you think the solution is? I think that crime of no consequence begets crime of no consequence, right? And they know that. Um, it's almost like when you're raising a child, if you just let them play with matches all the time or throw them in the middle of the Bell Parkway to play instead of the, you know, the cul-de-sac or the dead end, then of course they're going to get run over. Of course they're going to start fires and burn down houses. So, I mean, that's what the criminal element is being taught. They're taught that, yes, you can go to Target and steal up to $1,000 without prosecution. Yes, you should do it in New York City because Alvin Bragg is not going to prosecute you. Do not do it in Westchester County. So, you know, there, there are just so much of this. And like I said before, it's almost like critical race theory in a way because it's actually being taught. So, um, you know, the answer and the solution to this, Lee, and it's unfortunate for New York City, because New York City doesn't vote. They don't get up. They, they're not, they, they, they complain a lot, but they don't actually vote. And you know that by the numbers. The only way to solve this problem is at the ballot box. Uh, listen, Tom Kenneth, he, he's a former United States Marine, a friend of mine. He ran for district attorney of New York County. Now, he's red. He's a Republican. Should he have won? Absolutely. Did people know who he was? Not really. And you know whose fault that was? The GOP. Why didn't they take their $9 billion zillion and, and put tons of commercials up. Why did, you know, people like friends of mine have to donate $500 and $1,000 of their own blood money just to find out his name? There's no way that Alvin Bragg should be the district attorney of a county like New York County, but he is, and he's a social warrior. Now, Car Carmine, I assume you have a lot to say about what you're saying about the week. It's uh, the New York and, and New Jersey also would apply the GOP, Carmine? It's the same. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're really a series of good old boys club in suits. You know, like, they really need to get it together. I need to go in there and, like, revamp their entire organization. Here's the problem. The Republicans lose a state, let's say New York, California, New Jersey. They're like, oh, all right, well, that state's gone. Let's move on to the next state. Democrats lose the state. They're fighting for Texas for 100 years. They'll never quit. Republicans are like, oh, lost two elections in a row. We're done with them. Yeah, yeah. And Democrats give out free lunches and buses and Mets tickets. And, 
You know, Republicans are just, they're just so incredibly dinosaur archaic. Like, they, they put up Tom Kenneth to run as district attorney for New York County. He's a white guy. I mean, listen, he's a very nice guy. Don't get me wrong. I like him. He's a good friend of mine. But why didn't they put up a black female? Is that rocket science or like a Latina female? Especially considering if you're a white male today, you have no future in the Democrat Party. I'm actually waiting for Biden himself to transition into a woman of color. <laughs> Bravo. That was pretty funny, Carmine. Thank you. Thank you. I like that one. But unfortunately, it's so funny, it's scarily might be true. So we we'll wait for the headline to come down. Michelle Sianzi, great appearance as usual. Fantastic having you on the show. Take care of yourself. Let's also thank Mark Frost in the first hour for a great appearance. And Carmine, well, how do you think you did it as guest host? I think I had a fantastic time as guest host today. Thank you. And you did a great job. We'll be back tomorrow on The Backstory. Backstory.